Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantin Kissing. And this is a show if you're bored of people arguing on the internet over subjects they know nothing about. At Trigonometry, we don't pretend to be the experts, we ask the experts. Our brilliant guest this week is the leader of the Social Democratic Party, William Plewson. Welcome to Trigonometry. Thanks for having me. Kind of you to ask me. Thank Thanks for coming. Uh, our first question always is, what is the story of your life? How are you where you are? What's been your journey through life that takes you uh, okay. here to this chair? Right. Well, I was born in the northeast of England. Uh, mother's from Edinburgh. Father's from Liverpool. He's a red nose. <laughs> um, we, uh, my father was involved in politics a little bit uh, in the Labour Party, in and out. Uh, when uh, 1980 came along and the, the, the big split from the Labour Party, I mean, the Social Democratic Party is a, an offshoot of the Labour Party. Uh, my dad left the Labour Party and joined. And it was a very exciting time for us um, as a family and, and also to just to see the, the launch of a new uh, thing. It was also quite hostile. I mean, they had open meetings in the Northeast and, you know, the likes of David Owen came up to speak. And there'd be a lot of Labour people in there heckling. But you've seen the videos in the 70s uh, politics, 80s politics, quite raucous. But it was interesting and it, and it uh, captivated me. I joined um, <clears throat> and uh, we went through the period of, of, of seeing that, that blossom into the alliance. And 83, the, the big election for us, where we got, uh, with the Liberals, 20, 25.5% of the vote. Um, that was uh, the biggest, the SDP represents the biggest attempt to date uh, for 100 years, basically, to, to break the political mold, to change the two-party system. That's what it was set up to do. And I have to say it failed. Mm. And that's one of the reasons we're still, still here, plugging away. Um, so yeah, that was that was my initial background and involvement. Mm. Well, let's uh, let's talk about something that we've discussed at length on the show with many guests in the past. Is we've talked about the fact that there seems to be a gap in the market, so to speak, mm. uh, for a party that is socially conservative um, but left wing. Mm. So the, one of the arguments John Curtis made, for example, is that UKIP. Uh, under Nigel Farage, it was a party that um, was trying to be socially conservative, yeah. but it was also right-wing in terms of many of its policies, yeah. and its voters were not, right? So there's potentially a gap in the market for a party that is socially conservative, that wants to control immigration, that wants to be, you know, expressing the socially conservative values while being left-wing. Is that you? Uh, it's exactly us, and no one else is doing it. And one of the reasons, I think, people ask us why after the... I mean, because to finish off the sort of history lesson on the SDP... You had the Owenite SDP, which I was involved in. That was when the Liberals, um, you know, they had a, 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 a deal to, to, to put the two parties together. Some 42% of us voted against that because we're Social Democrats. And the reason for that is that social democracy and liberalism is different philosophically, uh, very different actually. First order preference in uh, liberalism to uh, the individual. But we have, we think that, you know, society and the community exists and is at least as important. Um, and so Owen, Owen's SDP went there. And then in, in 1980, he clears, clears off and, and the party gets kicked back to the grassroots. Uh, but it exists and uh, you have very strong pockets in, in East Yorkshire and South Wales, Glasgow and Midlands. <clears throat> but it's a bit, I think it's a bit like a bird species um, where you have total coverage when the, when the, when the species is strong. And then it gets knocked back, and then you end up in pockets, and that's where we were. Mm. Um, so this gap in the, the political gap in the market, I think, partly explains why the enduring SDP has has just sprung up from the grassroots, because people look at the political landscape and they say, well, you know, what have we? Who who can we vote for positively? And they look, and um, there are problems. I mean, 
I guess the Remainer Parliament is an example of a problem where uh, a, a widely held view is not well represented in Parliament, so you have a, a misalignment there. But there's a lot of it, and I think there's you know the two-party system is is seen to, to fail now because you know it's 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 its biggest selling point was it, it created stability. Well, there's no stability. I don't think we're well governed either. Um, so there is a there is a, a but on the particular uh, type of politics, the sort of red and blue politics that you're talking about. Yeah, there isn't a, another entity but us that's that's doing it, which explains why we've got thousands of of members joining and, and why we're growing all around the country because we're the only people that are doing it. Now, <clears throat> um, obviously, you have think tanks and academics and even even movements like Blue Labour, uh, Morris Glassman's thing, uh, which I like a lot. I mean, I think there's very very little difference. There are tiny little differences between us and 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 them, I guess. Um, but as a project, Blue Labour inside the Labour Party, full of you know half a million mem- momentum middle class trots, it's not going to work. <laughs> they're, they're not going to get uh, a Blue Labour platform. Uh, so it's a small group, and, th- and then you had Philip Blonde's project, which is Red Tory again, which we we like uh, aspects of it. There are differences, but there are there's relatively small differences. But again, uh, Tories flirt with it. But the modern Tory is basically some sort of free market liberal. You know. so, so if you were going to outline who you are to a yeah. potential voter, how would you describe your party? Uh, we're, we're sort of red and blue uh, pluralists, really. We, you, know how, you know when you meet, I mean, I'm, I'm going to do this slowly now, you, you asked me to do it quickly, yeah. but it's, you know when you meet people at, at a party, you might meet someone, and, and, and people's political views tend to cluster. But many, many people don't fall into that category. Mm. You know, when you meet someone, you, you know they'll say one, they'll say something like uh, if if you're in the states, they'll say that you know for gun control, and then you can you can derive all their other views from it. Yeah, uh, and the same happens here. Well, actually, that's probably about half the country are satisfied with I'm a red or I'm a blue, mm. but actually, about half the country isn't, and half of the country have views which cut across those things in different domains. And so, and that's legitimate, but it's not. But it's not something our political system can represent well, and it doesn't represent well because we've got a red party and a blue party. I mean, they're, they're, nowadays they're, they're both types of liberals, actually, which mm. is another problem. But the but so this this idea, if I was going to explain it quickly, mm. um, centre left on economics and public services, centre right or small c conservative on social and cultural issues. That's it. Mm-hmm. And so. Well, I mean, we we touched on what happened with uh, UKIP. How much of a danger is a Brexit party to your potential voter base? The 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 Nigel Farage's Brexit party now? Yes. Well, that's that's a sort of that's an immediate question because th- this project is about convening people who agree with with us. Uh, we we had a look at the philosophy of the party last year and and, and wrote this thing called the New Declaration, which is our sort of philosophical platform. And we've urged people to read it. If you like it, join us. And, and if you don't, don't join us. You know? mm. so it's, it's as much about, you know, say don't. You know, because actually there's a lot of kippers who are, uh, you know, a, a sort of free market uh, liberals. Mm. No, thanks. It's not what we do. So, you know, we agree with them on Brexit, but that's it. Uh, the, so on, 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 on the Brexit party thing, that's, that's going to play out over the next three months, six months, or whatever. But actually it's, a, it's another single issue, Nigel Farage, vehicle and the problem with UKIP historically always was there was a ceiling there was a ceiling on how far they could go because it was basically about you know Euroscepticism 
and it you know and in, inside that group you had i mean there were there were centrist uh, economic left even individuals like patrick o'flynn who came and joined our party uh who were in the tent because they were good eurosceptics but nigel will always have the problem that it's a single issue i mean even the name you know it's a single issue thing um you know the sdp is is very eurosceptic but if you read the new declaration there's about about four four little paragraphs on nation and world and euroscepticism and the rest of it is about all sorts of other stuff and i don't think i think nigel farage will do very well in this ele- i mean they could win the the euro election if it happens um but as soon, remember, as soon as there's a deal, if there's a deal, it's over. I mean, that's the, as a political entity, what we what, what can do then? You have to change the name anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I don't know. I mean, we, we sort of left. And also tactically, we, it was very unfair for the government to spring an election. Um, the Euro elections on a small party. I mean, all small parties are going to suffer this. And we, we looked at it and our national committee looked at it and came to a decision. A... I mean, instinctively, I, I wasn't happy with the, uh, you know, electing Euro, you know, MPs to the Europol. We voted out. What were we doing? So I was against that anyway. Um, and then to spring an election on uh, us, we could have, we could, we had the resources to to have candidates all over the country, but we'd get a couple of percent. And what's the point? So we just said, no, we're we're going to sit this one out. And I think a lot of our voters will probably vote Brexit Party actually. But I haven't, I mean, I'm not directing them to do to that. They can do that if they like. Mm. Many will. So that's the, the voice that you represent is, as you said, small C conservative. So uh, let's look at some of the principles that you talk about liberalism being the dominant strain of thought in parliament and maybe in, in yeah. society in general. Uh, what is your issue with liberalism? Um, to go back to what I said before, I think it. I think the basic problem is philosophically, it just privileges individual rights too much. I mean, we're all. For, I mean, we are, we are liberal, but we're not liberals. I mean, a lot of a lot of SDP positions are quite nuanced. So we're very pro-European, culturally, very, but we're not very keen on the EU. Uh, we're liberal, but we're not liberals. And I think the the problem with the project, the whole sort of emancipation, uh, grand liberalisation project that we've had since the sixties is that we've ended up with a society, and many fellow citizens agree with this, where me, 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 I come first. So the economic liberalism, it's all about getting as much money as I can, and getting ahead, as far ahead as other people as I can. And the social liberalism is about individual emancipation. What are my rights? You know, How am I going to prosecute those rights against the whole of the rest of the society and demand, I want this, I want that? Now, all of those things up to a point. It's, I mean, I think David Goodhart's right about this. Uh, I think in looking uh, about liberalism, looking at liberalism in terms of overreach, have we got to a stage where there is simply too much me, 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 and not enough us? And I think we're there. On, honestly, I think we're there. And I think the, the appeal of communitarian parties now, not, not in the elites, you see, the, the, and, and there is a, there's a, a very big gap between what academics, you know, basically what, what the academy, business, uh, the media think is, is basically full-on liberalism. And as and much of it as possible. As yeah. much as possible, you know, with both barrels. And David, again, David Goodhart's a, a great uh, thinker on, on this, this, this idea of double-dose liberalism. So you, society's had, you know, 30 years of socialism, liberalism, bang, bang, bang. So anyone that speaks up for a family is, you can't do that, we're not really comfortable with that. Uh, it's individualism all the time. And then, and then at the same time, you've got the uh, free market liberals of the right. 
who hammer basically public services have to be contracted out. So everything becomes marketized, every, literally everywhere. And at the same time, the, the, the state has lost confidence to actually just directly provide services and retain what, sh what, what should be its, its, its domain. I mean, a, a key, an absolutely key, I'd say the cornerstone social and economic idea in the SDP is the social market economy, which is something that we introduced in British politics in the 80s. Uh, and it's still there. Absolutely, that is the, the cornerstone idea. And that's the idea that the, uh, the state uh, uh, and the market are not opponents. Do you think we've reached this point now where you sort of alluded to it, where the pendulum is swinging back against liberalism? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it is. I think it is. And I think, well, so you can certainly see that. I mean, if you take immigration, uh, you know, we're pro-immigration, but we, I don't think we're pro-mass immigration. I think, and all, and again... But what does that mean? A lot of people will it, it not means, even make the distinction it, between the two. Well, so. magnitude matters. Mm. So uh, an, an academic called Paul Morland came out with a book about uh, migration very recently. Uh, and he made a point that in the, at the peak of the new labor uh, uh, immigration expansion, more people came to settle in the UK than had ever arrived between 1066 and, and 1950. Mm. Uh, you know, it could be a million, million people. Uh, and that's, for, that's, that's, that's very high immigration. Now, if, again, if you look at uh, what the general public think, the general public, and even Leave voters, by the way, 85% uh, uh, of them are quite pro-immigration, um, uh, they're happy with it as long as it's, it's basically of the right scale. Now, again, to, in the southeast, we're, we're sitting here in Islington, um, to fail, to have that much immigration and fail to, to do the other side of the tennis net, which is to build enough council houses, and yes, council houses, not to be sold off. The state actually doing something to help young people meet, you know, pair up and start thinking about raising a family. Uh, again, the, the economic liberals, oh, we don't do that. It's all left to the market. Well, actually, they're just misaligned with the public. The public want the state to help in, in housing. And, you can't, and any millennial in the, in the, in the southeast is completely in favor of the state doing this. Otherwise, how are you going to get anywhere to live? Mm. So it's, it, a lot of these things interlock, don't they? So you can have, what I'm saying is you can have massive, you can have very, very high rates of immigration. Uh, and you might get away with it if the state pick, pick, you know, picks the, the other side of it up and, and, and assists it, but they haven't done that either. But the thing, uh, I just want to clarify this thing of how you, someone can be, because I think I understand what you mean, but I'm not sure that everybody will. Yeah. You say you're pro-immigration, and what does that mean? Like, you're not against immigrants. Oh, no, no, yeah. I mean, there's a distinction. I mean, that, that's a distinction anyway. I mean, yeah. we live in a, a, an open and tolerant society. Yeah. And, and all, all the data across Europe, this is one of the most tolerant societies, thank goodness. Absolutely. You're not allowed to say that anymore. I said no, that on TV true. recently, but, no, but and it's I true, got slammed actually, for it. Immigrant, immigrants understand it, you know. Yeah. They do, because it is a nice place to live, and people mm. are cool, and, and people we get on. Mm. And that's the reality. Um, no, on, ma on the magnitude, uh, you've just got to get your immigration rate right. Uh, the other side uh, on immigration, which I think probably liberals have slightly overstepped, is that w so they've been. I think liberalism has been too enthusiastic for very high levels of immigration, mm. and I think it's been too indifferent to integration. Yes. Uh, again, I think that is a that is a mainstream view. We, I, I'd like to talk about centrism later. But <laughs> what is centrism? Yeah. So I, we we what we're representing are very very mainstream views on the data. You know, so most people, most British people uh, are comfortable with a degree of multiculturalism, but they're, they're, they don't like separatist multiculturalism mm -hmm. very much. And they do think people, we ought to 
have common values which which bind us together in some way. And if we don't actually as a society, we simply won't succeed. Mm. So, I mean, what you sound, what you're saying to me sounds eminently reasonable. I agree with it, and I think, yep, yeah, okay, we're making a lot of sense here. However, there is the other side to it, sort of the David Lammy left, who says that you know that, that this you know talking about immigration in this way is akin to you know, Nazism or whatever else and all this time. I'm not sure what's going on with that at the moment. I mean, it's really, <laughs> no, genuinely, it's, it's, quite, it's quite strange because um, this has bubbled up recently. Uh, and, I mean, the rhetoric the, after the 2016 vote, mm. uh, the establishment hammered the vote. You know, I mean, it ki literally killed it, uh, disparaged it, said lots of nasty things which weren't true. Uh, you know, all leavers. I mean, remember what a broad coalition this was, 52% of the public. And to say it's a racist vote is absurd. You, you run out of racists really quickly mm. on the data. I mean, it's true. About, there are about 4% of the society's racist and bigoted on, on the figures, four or five, depending on what question you ask. But you can't say that half of the public that voted on democracy voted on that basis. It's nonsense. So... The rhetoric has gone gone a, a little crazy. Um, I don't know, what I, and I don't think it's helpful either because I think it's another thing in the SDP that we're against. Um, we're for tolerance, but we 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 the the sort of um, identity politics intersectional stuff that is hammered by the by the far left, mm -hmm. or even the Corbyn left actually, which isn't really far left, but it's very left, hammering differences. Literally, 24 hours, constantly hammering differences. I'm different. That, that is going to lead to division. And I think you, instead, uh, politicians ought to think about what unites people. Most, most people, no matter what your background or your religion is, want the same things. It's interesting that you say that, this division, because I've just been away for a couple of weeks uh, to, to a former part of the Soviet Union. And it's amazing to me just coming back and starting to, because I tried to switch off from the media yeah, and stuff like that. very wise. Coming back and just going... Wait, someone's just being called white or someone's being called a man or someone's being like as yeah. if that's a, a legitimate argument. And I think that's where we've we've kind of come to. It's yeah. crazy. I, yeah. And, and, and it's I think it, I think it is actually a type of what we're witnessing is a type of mania, literally, among some commentators and some social justice um, warriors. I think it's a type of, of mania. People are going crazy. And they need, people need a little bit of perspective. Most people get on, you know, out there in the real world we get on. And, and it's not to try and constantly see everything as a sort of rights violation. It's, it's an odd, very odd frame of mind. It's, not, it's certainly not healthy, it's, but it's not accurate either. That's the odd thing about it. Mm. It's funny, in, in philosophy, you get these waves, waves of movements uh, in thought and, you know, communism or you know what but in, in philosophy there was a movement logical positivism in the in the 30s aj wrote a book and and it, the vienna circle and it was all about um scientific rationalism being able to sort of put the put the ground floor to to justify any 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 view had to be had to be grounded you know and in field departments around uh, particularly in the, in the anglo world in america and and here undergraduates would be running around anyone that said anything uh, you know, an undergraduate pinning someone against the wall and saying, well, how are you going to verify that? <laughs> you know? um, and, and this, this and of course, the movement just went through and actually they discovered, I mean, Popper demonstrated you can't verify anything. Anyways, the whole thing was clapped out and it's quite discredited. I mean, it did have, I quite liked parts of it. But it's just one of these movements that just sort of started and then became you know, very intense and then just faded away. And I think probably 
again, there's been there's been liberal overreach, but there's been sort of parity mania, social justice overreach, uh, and craziness. And I think we just have to go, just ride it out, I guess, because you can't. We can't. Uh, like any like any movement of that kind, it'll 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 have its time and then it'll fade away. Hopefully, one of the things you talk about is community. Yeah, um, and I think it's un, undeniable that we have lost a sense of community in this country. This is probably happening all around the world. Yeah, families are becoming smaller, more atomized. Yeah. We're living more yeah. separately from each other. We feel yeah. less connected to each other. You know, we don't talk to our neighbors. All, all of the rest of it, and anyone can diagnose that. But but if you we, were, we may have reasons not to talk to our neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a point I made in an yeah, article once. Yeah. That the reason we don't talk to our neighbours is not because we hate them; it's just we're British. That's yeah. that's, that's what we do. Yeah. But if we take all of that and we kind of diagnose it and we say this is a problem, and we know it's a problem, it because is a problem. in terms of our mental health, for for all sorts of reasons, this is a big big problem. How do we fix that? I think by by switching culturally from me 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 to us and to the community. And I think, it's, I think this is where political leadership does matter. Um, how we think about what we do and what we do. Um, so community is massively important. People, I mean, a lot of liberal left politicians just, just, just forget about it. They're just completely not interested. Not all of them, but many do. And so the, the, the basic building blocks, family, which is the first place that you do something for other people you learn that in the home. I'm going to help, you know, your mother will help you, your father will help you. And, and you, that's the first place that we learn it. And then going on from that, our neighborhood, knowing people, getting involved, running sports clubs and things. Sounds, I mean, this is actually um, a sort of civic society stuff that Philip Blonde talked about. You know, I mentioned the red Tory uh, combination. And Philip's idea was that the civic society does have the greatest role. Uh, in, in sort of cultural renewal. That's right. Uh, the problem is where it's needed most, civic society is weakest. And actually where it's maybe not needed so much, it's it's at its strongest. You know, so you go to sort of a, a very strong, relatively affluent village and, you, you know, people will be involved in the curriculum. They all know each other and it's, it's very, very strong civic societies. Mm. And some other areas in urban areas where you've got a perhaps a, a, a less stable population, more people coming and going and things, it's not as strong. But it's, I mean, it, it, we've, either way, we've got to think about communitarian impulses and think about doing, you know, working together. You, you, you make that point. I mean, Labour at its, at its core is, is communitarian. Was. Was, <laughs> yeah, yes. But was, it was. It was all about unions. It was about representing yeah, yeah. the people. And you look at the modern Labour, I mean, it's just demented, but, uh, number one. And number two, it's like you said, it's all about divisions. Yeah. I am this, this, and this. You yeah. are this, this, and so this. So destructive. It's actually poisonous. I mean, it, it is it, that, looking at society like that mm. is poisonous. Uh, a philosopher I like a lot, John Gray. Uh, you know, who, uh, people consider him a little bit bleak, uh, and he can be bleak at times. <laughs> but he's also he's a he's a great um, viewer and, uh, and commentator on liberalism. And um, you know, he's 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 great on this. You know, you, you, how far do you go with with individualism before the whole of society just unravels? And and on that. How far do you go in identity politics before you, you, you end up with what he describes as a, a sort of low-intensity civil war? And that's, mm. you know, people want that. You know, and I think, uh, you know, you can talk in slogans, but we, we, the SDP idea is a social future. And it must be. It's either that or gated communities. Yeah. Which, what do you want? 
you know. But how are we going to get there? Because as I sit here during this interview, I'm enjoying it. I, I'm, and and, in and my he's head, Russian. He enjoys nothing. Yeah, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy very few things. <laughs> That's great. But as I'm Apart sitting from here, the destruction of the Ukraine. Yeah, uh, my wife's Ukrainian. <laughs> She's very independent. Anyway, <laughs> I I'm I sitting here and I'm thinking, I I really like this guy. He's a nice guy. He has interesting ideas, right? Uh, he he's persuasive. He says interesting things. But would I vote for him? Is there is there a thing that I kind of go, oh, that that gets well, me? You know, I think it, I mean all all any 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 program is a is a balanced program. So, you know, if you read the New Declaration, not everyone is going to agree with absolutely everything. Mm. But the important thing about the SDP is that were there any people doing this? So again, I mean, I, you know, Red Tory, Blue Labour, they're intellectual movements, really. But this is this is a proper political party, grassroots up. We've got several thousand members now, uh, and it's happening, and it's happening for the right reasons, and uh, you can. You can, you know, stay at home or whatever, or you could get involved, or, or, or you don't have to. Mm. But um, it's actually happening, and, it, and it's a real entity. In that, it will be—it's contesting real elections, and we're trying to beat the Labour Party and the Conservatives and UKIP and the others, and contest f for seats to get proper representation. And I, but it will take time. People, when you when you were involved in a, a sort of upsurge like this, everyone thinks. You know, why aren't you on question time yet? Why are you, you know, what, and, and it does take time. It, it, you know, if you look at UKIP's, and I mean, the top down SDP was, was just like that. It, it literally, you know, foreign secretary, uh, you know, film star looks. Yeah. David Owen was a dominant politician, wonderful politician, Roy Jenkins, Home Secretary. And these were big figures. And instantly they got sort of uh, instant, you know, I mean, at one, at one point in, in 82, we were at 50% uh, in the polls. But it, it went up like a rocket, but it came down like the stick. That was the problem. And actually this time it's grassroots. Mm. So it's normal, normal participants. Uh, many who, who haven't been in parties before, we get a lot of people from the Labour Party. Uh, we've, recently we've got more Conservatives joining and things. We've got Greens joining, Lib Dems. You're a skeptic, Lib Dems. Weird. Yeah, they do. <laughs> There's yeah. Not, yeah. Many yeah. not many um, of them. So yeah, so that's, I, I think it'll take time, but it, it'll work. And I think the thing that I'm really, really confident about is, the, is that Matthew Goodwin and... Uh, and the others that do the work on the gaps, have, there is a, there's a gap. I mean, oh, there's no one else doing it. And, no and you know, you do the political compass thing and the whole of the southwest or the, you know, yes. the, sort of the bottom corner is, is, is where we are. But no my challenge to you isn't that you're too slow in getting there. My challenge is that I don't hear anything concrete. Uh, I don't hear policies that are going to grab my attention or things that... Well, build, build council housing to house a million people. Mm -hmm. Does that, how does that grab you? That, that grabs um, me, And sure. by the way, we've, we're gonna, uh, I, we think it's too small. I think the next policy round will increase that. Mm. And those council houses won't be for sale. I mean, that already grabs me because to me, one of the biggest failures of the Conservative government is their unwillingness to deal with the, with the housing crisis, especially in London. Well, no. Labour as well, they didn't do it. Well, they they yeah. didn't do them, yeah. They didn't, and it's it's what the really strange thing about, particularly on conservatives. I mean, I, conservatives are good are good drinking pals. <laughs> they know? are, they and really they, are. And bless them if you you know, and I, I you know I think they, they they they're less judgmental in the pub and things. You know, get so much in your ear. But they the problem with the modern conservative, it's not conservative. It's not. I mean, they say you know theoretically, if they've got the guts to to back the family as an idea now, which they don't really do now. But if they do have the guts to say that, they haven't connected that you can't have the state just literally depart from the field and say, we're not going to do it. We're not going to help at all. You're on your own. Bye-bye. And that's what the Conservatives have done and they, on, on housing. And if you do that, it means that people can't, when they meet, they can't get a flat. They can't possibly get a house. And they won't have kids.
And the conservatives, theoretically a conservative, is meant to support couples that want to do that. Mm. So I would say you're just not conservative. What you've become is free market liberal maniacs. That's what you are, because you want to marketize everything, literally everything, even the stuff that the state should do. So there you go. So uh, another policy, railway uh, nationalization. Mm. Yeah, it's going to happen anyway. Do you think? Yeah, because you get fewer and fewer... I mean, it's a, it was a crazy, uh, com, you know, confected uh, privatization anyway. I mean, no, it's a cra- I mean, the, the state does the heavy lifting anyway with the infrastructure. About four billion goes into that a year, and then they let the, and then they let a few different colored trains run up and down. I'm, it's, just, it's not really privatization. You can't, and it, no state railway system runs at a profit. Not, um, it's got to be efficient, but it shouldn't. Mm. I mean, it's it's a public uh, service really to get people around. Mm. Um, and when you think about it that way. Uh, the whole project, I think Major did it because he'd run out of sort of Thatcherite uh, <laughs> credibility. Honestly, I think that's, you know, if you read about it, I think that's what happened. They, mm-hmm. It's crazy. And, and what's happened is that the franchisees can't make money out of it. So there are fewer bidding for it. So it's just going down. And then they screw it up like the, I'll be going back to Northumberland tonight, well, this afternoon, uh, on, on, on a nationalized LNER train. Hurrah! <laughs> but they, but that, but that—that's what happens. You see, when when things when the market fails, the state comes in and picks it up. So that's it is a logical thing, and it will happen. It's just a matter of time. Well, give us more. Give us more. Uh, can can talk- I ask one question, which I think is is very important? Actually, no. <laughs> this isn't Russia, mate. Chill out. But this is, and I think this is very, very important. And it's a crisis that we have now in London and all our major cities, which is knife crime. Yeah. Um, and uh, for me, because I'm hopefully I'm going to get married within the next couple of years, we want to have kids, all the rest of it. I can't see myself living in a city because I don't want my children to be around that. How would you appeal to you know the young people and people who are about to have families that they're going to be able to bring up their children in safety? And it seems like every day I open the paper and there's another kid getting stabbed and murdered. It's desperate, yeah. I, I think... I think what what we've got to do is actually be a little bit more honest about when when politicians are interviewed about knife crime, they'll talk left and right actually talk about police tactics or police numbers. You know, you got the map used to be at thirty three thousand, we're at twenty eight now, and, and there aren't enough resources. Uh, and they'll talk about other things like that, but they won't talk about any fundamentals. And I would say, how about uh, the crisis in the family? Mm. Are we going to be honest about that? That it, you can't. And actually, it's a bit like the the, the housing thing. Uh, the sad thing on housing is that you can't. I can't say to any millennial, "Vote for me because I'll solve it." Because it would take twenty years to solve. You understand this? Yeah. I mean, there just isn't. You can't. You can't get the house, the public housing stock up in in five years, ten years, or even fifteen. It's a whole generation. But knife crime and all these other things, uh, you have to go back to, to to parenting and community. Unfortunately, that is the reality. And I think if people have uh, strong role models and the societies with them back to the communitarian thing then you in the long run then knife crime would 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 reduce it would but but you but that's not something that a politician can say i can solve now by shoving this amount of money on it or doing that i mean the left particularly one of the, one of one of the criticisms which the sdp has of the current labor party is that it views uh, cultural issues cultural problems just through the lens of money I mean, it's a bore. Mm. You, you listen to them interviewed, and they just say cuts, cuts, cuts. Well, not all our problems are are caused by you know Tory cuts. I mean, we. I mean, the SCP is in, in favour of a strong and active state. You need you need you know state spending of uh, about forty one percent of GDP. 
And, and that's much higher than the Tories would want it, but it's not as high as what Corbyn would want. But you can't, they have a tendency to blame uh, cultural problems on, on, on money. And actually, the, a lot of the solutions are, are not to do with money either. One of my favorite things, this is another policy, uh, is the Daily Mile. You know the Daily Mile? And, and have you heard of that? No. no. So there's a school in Stirling uh, in, in Scotland, and, and the, the health metrics for the kids was not, were, was not brilliant. Mm weren't fit, weren't concentrated, you know. And the head teacher there said, right, we're gonna do a communitarian thing. Every kid and all the staff, all the teachers, we're gonna run a mile every day. All of us together, no excuses, no opt-outs, we're all gonna do it. But different speeds, but, yes. but, but you know, they're gonna do it. And, and they did that, they started off doing it. It was a cost, it cost nothing. To be fair, they had, you know, they, and there are issues with, with, with where could you do it, but they did it, and all literally the education outcomes increased, mm. the health outcomes increased, all the data, you know, it was fantastic, and that didn't cost anything, and that's a cultural solution uh, to a, to a health and education issue. So it's a voluntary thing. Um, we were a bit, and, and I can't remember what the pickup is. It's something like 40 percent of primary schools do this now. And it's a sort of team building and, and community building thing. Um, we were a little bit scared of saying, right, you know, the Social Democrats will mandate this. When you mandate stuff, it all goes wrong. Mm. But, but it's an example of, of something where, honestly, culture is, I mean, we're all, all aware of the fact that politics has taken a cultural turn in the last 10 years, 20 years. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and the left and right thing about economics, which was just about who gets what and what the state should do. I think that's still important, actually. I, th I really do. I think that's very important. But um, culture is, 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 is number one now. That's it. And I think so cultural, cultural solutions to cultural problems is what I would say long term. It's just interesting. It's such a good point, isn't it? Yeah. Because one of the things I hear as I listen to you and then I compare that with a lot of the things that a politician might say on, a, on Question Time or yeah. wherever else is yeah. we no <clears throat> longer seem to have any understanding that some problems take time to solve. Exactly. And exactly. we've become so impatient as yeah, a society yeah. that we don't yeah. want to hear your answer there. No, we do not want to hear that. Yeah. We don't want to be told this isn't going to get solved in 15 years. Yeah. We, well, it's, the same, it's the same as the, the undergraduate Phil student pinning someone down about verification. Tell me now. Mm. Tell me now what you're going to do. Well, no, some of the things do take. I mean, it will take a long time. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that is the way it is. And I think the people, people are ready for that, aren't they? I, it was, it's also to do with our parliamentary system that you get elected for four years. You know, yeah. If you actually stand up and go, well, look, I'm not going to solve this in four years, and everyone thinks, well, why am I going to vote for you then? I'm going to vote for yeah, you know whoever it is over here saying that you can solve it in two. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. But on the other hand, the, the, you know, um, the public is much more switched on than politicians imagine. Mm. And actually, the whole Brexit vote and the you know, the coining of phrases, hard Brexit, soft Brexit, crash, and all the, you know, the public are aware of what's going on. They know these are slogans. I mean, they're not, they're not daft, really. They're not, you, you spend a bit of time on the doorsteps. People know what's happening. Um, so, yeah, and I think people, people will be ready for a, a longer-term thing, but I think that, that the short-termism of British politics is partly through, to, to do with another thing, which you've talked about to other participants, which is for the duopoly. Uh, and the first pass the post voting system, which is which is it's finished, it's cooked. Mm. It needs. I mean, I think I, one of the consequences we we are living through a, a political crisis now, no doubt. Strangely, not really an economic one, really. You know, full employment. You know, it's, it's, it's odd. This. I mean, out, you know, in the, in the world outside 
things continue and the country's doing reasonably well. But there's a political crisis. And I think, um, what are, the, what are the, going to be the consequences of that? And I think the, I, would, I would put money on the consequence being the, the duopoly in first past the post. It's going to go. People won't, because I don't think people are going to put up with the status quo politics as usual. They're not going to put up with that. Mm. And that's what you're going to get if the voting system doesn't change. So when do you think it's going to change? Do you think it's going to be... I know it's, it's, no, it's, it's gonna, impossible mm. to make predictions, all the I rest I think within 10 years we'll have, we'll have the, a new voting system. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I think, with it, and that's and that's being optimistic. But I think it would happen because I just don't think people. I think within. I by the way, I don't think there's going to be an election anytime soon. I think you're going to go the three years from now, mm. because the, they. I mean, we're in sort of late seventies, you know, Wilson Callahan Lib Lab Pack zone now. We 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 they won't a government won't call an election it'll lose or it thinks it'll lose. Uh, so I just think we're just going to go to the bitter end. Um, but I, I don't know if it's that election or the election after. But what you need to have to break it is actually a grand alliance of every single party that wants PR for one election. Mm. Greens, uh, you know, Communist Party of Britain, Praxis Mar Marxist Leninist. <laughs> Uh, you know the whole, literally the whole, the whole. You're really thing. scraping the barrel there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Just so you get 150 votes. Yeah. Um, no, you, you, you need you need a one election. We've had enough thing because yeah. I think people have had enough. And mm. you look at you look at the future. You, more of the same, really. Mm. I mean, the thing about first past the post was it used to. They used to say it delivered. Um, Strong government and, and, and stability and stability and also uh, firm decisions. I mean, you know, uh, firm election results. Mm. Well, it hasn't done that. No. I mean, it doesn't. Literally, it is clapped out. It really. I mean, the whole constitutional thing needs looking at. But I, I don't think that's going to survive. I and I think the number of people that are, are pulling away from the main parties and their allegiances are pulling away. Mm. I mean, you know, working class voters with uh, the modern Labour Party. It's, it's not a good fit. Mm. And, and people and people started voting UKIP, and they'll they'll vote. I mean, the, very interesting actually. At the last election, twenty seventeen was the first time that the Tories had as many working class votes as the Labour Party. Did you know that? No, no. Yeah. So they, they used to be class, very class based voting. If you go back to the to the fifties, very very you know working class block. You know, and and you always got some working. I class love the Tories. way you pointed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, sorry, I changed that. I changed that. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so they used to vote in great big middle class <laughs> middle class blocks. The I'll Tories. take it. I'm Russian. We have no yeah. classes. Yeah. So yeah. You, you had that, and then and then yeah. there's been a a, 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 a sort of gradual. Uh, Realignment from that, but it's it's quickened, and actually, the next election, I would predict, I think the Tories will probably do terribly, but they they'll have quite a strong working class vote, uh, and it, it's one of these realignments where, you know, like if you look at American politics now, uh, and uh, you know the southern states are Republican, and you say to your kids, well, you know, they used to be Democrat, mm. what? Really? I mean, they were quite racist Democrats, yeah. actually, <laughs> yeah. which is one of the reasons. But there was a problem. But, the, but a proper realignment happened in the 60s under Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. And you can't imagine that now. Yeah, and people can't say, well, how, what, the Southern states were voting Democrat? Yeah, they were. Solid. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. solid. And when you're going through it, you sort of don't notice it. But it's happening. And I think, so I think it's very odd. The Conservatives, uh, how they've played Brexit, they, the Conservative Party, they say, is the you know, most successful political party in the world. And it, 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 it is because it changes. You know, it used to be protectionist, then it's free trading, and it's free, you know, throughout the years it just changes and morphs. 
um, became the business party. It used to be the Aristos party and so on. And they, had a, they have a massive opportunity right now to pick up the ball, own Brexit, do no deal, and, get, and, and convene a totally new conservative thing. And actually, if they were socially conservative, they'd, they'd storm it. They're not doing it. It's, 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 well, they're afraid of losing half the party. Oh, terrified. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but the, the misalignment there isn't it's with the parliamentarians. It's not, with the, yeah. it's not with the membership or their voters, actually. It's weird. Because I, I think the parliamentarians and the bigwigs have actually played this wrong. But I'm, I I'm not coach the Tory party. It's up to them what they do. But they, they are, they've missed a massive opportunity for a, for a full-on realignment. Because they'd have taken the, the Leave working class vote. They wouldn't. How dangerous is it, do you think, that essentially the Conservatives and Labour have turned their back on traditional working class heartlands? And essentially what you have now is a large swathes of, of those people yeah. who are unrepresented. I think it's very dangerous. It's, it's, a, it's, it's not a good thing for not only a, a social class, but, <laughs> but uh, uh, a viewpoint actually to be persistently ignored, to be persistently mm. ignored, you store out problems. It's like a pressure cooker. You've got to come out in other ways. And, and actually, Peter Shaw, who's probably my, my favorite, uh, my political hero, wrote very well on this. If you ignore, if you don't allow participation and democracy to deal with these things, you'll get a disobedience in the end. Or out, outright, uh, or worse, basically. Well, there's so no issue. Be... There is no issue that has divided, I think, the, the country more on that basis where people haven't been represented and their views haven't been taken into account than immigration. Yeah. I don't think there's a single issue than that. We were never asked. That's what they all say. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so what is what is your view on how we move forward? What is your party policy on immigration? Just to uh, just to have uh, uh, caps that will work. So the the Theresa May's uh, immigration policy has ne never worked. They've tried to implement it. They just haven't haven't basically gone hard enough at it. You just need to reduce immigration. You need to reduce net migration and gross. The gross figure is the is the figure they don't want to go near. Because, you know, all, the whole of business and the cultural media is, is lined up to, to be pro. And so if you put any limit on it, you've got massive uh, kickback. But, but that's what is required. Uh, you've got to have sufficient, but not too much. Right. Well, that is just outed you as a racist to everybody who's watching this, because that's the way this story yeah, they're, goes. They're, right? Well, fine. Yeah. I, I, that, that make, as an immigrant, that makes no sense to me. But somehow talking about what you just said, which is we have to reduce immigration. Yeah. Bang, race is done. You've got to detoxify some of these things. I think you, you can't, I mean, Eric Kaufman's very good on this. Mm. I mean, these are normal, uh, talking about this ought to be detoxified as much as you want to talk about transport policy or something. It's a legitimate thing to talk about. Make it and boring. To, oh, well, that would that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, be a political project. But yeah. then that ties back to David Lammy. In, yeah. in that he just, you know, said quite inflammatory yeah. comments. Crazy. No, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that. I think it's, I think that's not helpful. Mm. Yeah. But again, I can't we, can't we? I wanted to talk about centrism, and I'll try and get it in here. Look. <laughs> yeah, 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 so here we go. So, so. <laughs> Can you hear the gift? Yeah. <laughs> no. So what? What? What is? What is? What is centrism? It's representing a mainstream view, which yeah. is all we're doing, by the yeah. way. Now, if, if, if the things that we talk about on the family, community, immigration, or the e European Union are mainstream opinions, I would say they're centrist opinions. And I would say that if, uh, you know, cultural elites think differently, well, that's not a centrist opinion. I mean, that's okay, you can have that opinion, but it ain't centrist. It's not, you can't, and actually, you know, Chucker's group and, you know, the Change UK people, 
are going around, and obviously the BBC love them and everything, they're going around saying they're centrists. I don't know, I'm not no, sure. No. You know what, what you're saying? You're saying you want to dishonour the biggest democratic vote in British history. Is that, is that centrist? It's weird. I mean, that's like, to me, that's, that's a mask slipping. And it's like, you know, it's not a good moment. It's not, and I, I, I reject that. As, this is why people say, you know, the SDP is a centrist party. It is, it is. But it, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not wanting Macron or Tony Blair or, or you know, Chucker to join yeah. our party. Well, they're hyper-liberals. Yeah. Exactly, care, total liberals, yeah. 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 Uh, not necessarily personally anything wrong with liberals, but they are hyper-liberals. Yeah, so that's yeah. what they are. They're not, yeah. they're not centrist. I mean, the counter-argument, and it's something I've been thinking about recently, the counter-argument to the idea that we must always do what the people want yeah. would be, you know, hanging or, yeah. you know, getting rid of nuclear power stations because people are afraid of them blowing yeah. up, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So what do you say to someone who goes, look, the people know broadly what they want, but it is the job of experts to come in and you know take care of things and make yeah, decisions. The expertise thing, the expertise thing is a really, really interesting thing because uh, uh, obviously uh, Gove made that point and he was slammed, you know, mm. you know and it became a sort of Brexit, <coughs> Remainer, Remainer, because obviously all Leave voters are stupid, you know, we don't listen to experts and so on. But there are some really interesting, fine-grained philosophical ideas to be had on that. Um, ma there's a difference between macro expertise and micro. So on micro, you know, uh, an engineer or someone flying a plane or a cook or something—that's micro expertise, and it exists. Mm. It and you can, but and the reason it's expertise, you can rely on it. You can rely on it. Mm. Macro? No, I don't think so. Uh, Macroeconomics is in crisis. Literally, they're all over the place. I mean, it's a wonderful discipline. You know, two of my kids, you know, one did an economics degree and one's doing one now. And it, But it, it's in crisis. It, it's not, you can't say that you have macro expertise that could, that could say where we are with predictive um, accuracy, you know, six months. They're quite good at three months, actually, but <laughs> quite good at a week, as long as no crisis happens. But they're, they're, very, they're very poor. Yeah. They're very poor. They're really, really poor on, on predicting anything further out. And actually, Gove, bless him, was was just making that point because he was talking about the IMFs and uh, you know um, OECD predictions, which was a legitimate thing to say. So you know, you know, does it mean you're ignoring expert advice? No, not generally. Taleb, Nassim Taleb, makes mm. great uh, great points on this, and um, he's you know I, he's an odd figure culturally but he's i like him don't I go mean. on his twitter that, no i stay I away from that yeah no <laughs> I, I occasionally look at it i have followed him but i occasionally look at it but his but his his contribution to intellectual life is mm. it's great about two months ago i was walking down uh victorian bankment and i i i saw him walking down and i stopped him and said hello and said i was a big fan and, and um he was there with his agent spoke for a for a few minutes and i didn't get a selfie and i walked <laughs> up why why didn't i get a selfie you know? Uh, but anyway, yeah. So yeah. So the expertise, yeah, in its in its in its proper realm, it's it's reliable. But take my point about hanging, which I think is a good example, where it's not so much about expertise, but it's a sense that maybe we need someone in a position, in a cool, calm, and collected place where cool, calm, and collected people come together. And well, that's cool. Theresa May. <laughs> no, but, but I don't know. I don't know. But people can't who are wise heads sitting in parliament deliberating on these great matters come together and ignore our worst instincts yeah. in a sense because hanging is is an issue where the majority of the british public perfectly support that 
right? Or, or have done for a while. Well, it's, it's, I think it's below 50% now. It used to be higher. Well, yeah, but let's, yeah. say, let's say yeah, it's around yeah. 50% or a small majority. Maybe it's not hanging. Maybe it's just the death penalty. Maybe yeah. if you mm -hmm. phrase it like that, yeah, most yeah. people would support it, yeah, right? Yeah. And maybe that's an issue on which we just need someone to go, no, no, come on, guys. We don't need to go that far, right? So my point is, do we always have to do what the people want in everything? No, I don't. I don't think I. I. I'd concede on on that point. Actually, mm. um, I think um, some people, when we're sort of re-putting the, the philosophical base of the STP together, some people are quite keen on d direct democracy. I'm not actually. Mm. I think if you if you have if your if if votes match seats, which they don't, <clears throat> if votes match seat, you don't need that. Mm. And particularly if you have seats that are connected to a, a physical, you know, a, a geography to to keep the link between voters. And so, you know, so uh, am I in favour of having, you know, votes on the death penalty? No. And uh, I, I couldn't, I mean, I, I'm totally and utterly against the idea of the death penalty. So I would have to say even if, and I'll be honest, even if 55% of people wanted it, I wouldn't be voting for it. Right. And so that's Brexit, isn't it? Is, some people would make that point that yeah they could do they could do but it, but the the difference is that on a on a on a tiny micro but lethal question mm. for an individual is that is that equivalent to asking how your how your state is governed I mean Bre the Brexit is the biggest question of our political lives now because it is the biggest question I mean we haven't we talked about uh, you know. The, the nation state as an idea is, is diminished, very, very diminished. If you speak to a, a, a new graduate at a modern university in Britain, they'll disparage nationalism. Mm. They will do it, 90% uh, of them probably. Yeah. Mm. They will disparage it. They, what, they are, what they're not seeing is the, side of, the positive side of convening national solidarity to do stuff together. Mm. <clears throat> you know, so we're in it together. Um, and they also don't see the, the phony side of <clears throat> the EU not having that. Now, let's. So, I, I love it that we've got 50 minutes, and it's only really now that we've touched on Brexit. <laughs> I was, I was keeping an eye to see how long it would take. What we are now is, I think, is in a position, like we said, political crisis. Yeah. If you were the prime minister, how would you deal with Brexit? Um, it's it's an awful question because you wouldn't have got, you wouldn't have wanted to get here. But uh, that aside, <laughs> that, that aside, I, I would say leave without a deal now. Mm. I think, that's the only, because I think that's the only thing that respects it. I think personally, her, her actual deal, the, the deal that she has, the Barnier-May deal is worse than staying in. I'm eurosceptic. I want to leave. But I would sooner stay in than vote for that deal. That is a dreadful, dreadful deal. Um, you, you can't, there are some advantages to staying in, uh, but you can't give those advantages up without having the advantages of leaving. And so her deal has none of the advantages of leaving. You don't get your own trade policy. You don't know how you'll ever get out of the customs union if, if, if you can. Dreadful. So the only option actually where we are, we wouldn't have wanted to get here, but the only option is actually leaving without a deal. But by the way, I don't think that's going to happen. I really, I think, I think the establishment are putting Brexit into a sort of killing zone now. And I think the, this is why I objected to the European elections so much, because it's a slow wear the public down, get the sort of you know the the soft Brexit, hard Brexit narrative, wear them down, don't honour it, put it into a you know negotiate a terrible deal that which the Commons everyone knows couldn't because the various uh, on the on the mass couldn't support. Then you know 
to get into the next stage by having European parliament elections, uh, then get the EU to give you a, a longer delay, which they'll do. I mean, that, actually, that's, that's a busted flush now. They'll give you any delay you want now, as long as you stay in and you know, continue the status quo. They'll just give us as much time. Because every single vote that the European Union has had on the, the treaties previously, you know, Greece, uh, well, actually, that was about austerity, but uh, Holland, uh, France, Denmark twice, Ireland twice, the standard way of doing it is to say, <laughs> sorry, wrong result, vote again. And I thought we that were different. I thought I, and, and that's been the real, the real tragedy, the real realization, is that we thought we were different to any. We're not. The the elite here are doing it to us, exactly the same. That's the proper way of doing it. You just eventually make us vote again. And the only question is, do they, are they going to have to do that, or do you get some sort of false Brexit that gets through and? But, but incidentally, if they do that, I don't think they're probably going to be convinced. But if if you get the worst referendum they could have is May's deal or stay in. So it's like stay in, <coughs> crap, or stay in proper. That would be even worse, right, according to what you're saying. <coughs> you see, Francis and I both voted Remain. Because mm. we're good people. There we go. <laughs> it's, it's a running joke on the show. Yeah. Uh, we, we have people saying, when are you going to start selling T-shirts with that slogan? We don't actually think that way. In fact, both of us have a lot of reservations about what's happened since Brexit. Uh, and I particularly feel like if, if we got to a point where we had a second referendum and it was either leave with no deal or remain, I would vote to leave with no deal. Yeah. My only concern with that is how damaging is that going to be? Because I'll be honest with you, I think democracy is much more important than economics. Yeah, I do uh, as well. So if, if we were to leave and suffer some economic disruption in the short term, I'm comfortable with that. But I'm not so comfortable with the idea that we leave and destroy our economy for 20 years. That would be it. Yeah, I don't think that's, I mean, I just don't genuinely don't believe that's in the offing. I mean, a modern economy that wants things with its own currency will end up getting them. I mean, you will end up getting suppliers. I mean, there might not be that supplier, but they will be a supplier and, and the world will supply you of stuff. Uh, I don't buy, I think there will be a, a transition and there will be some turbulence, no doubt about it. You wouldn't want to have got to a situation where you've had to, to do no deal. But we're here. Uh, and if it happens, I think the country would, would you know, it would have sort of probably 12 months of, of readjustment. Certain industries will suffer. I mean, I think certain, certain manufacturing industries, long supply lines, that, there's going to be turbulence there. And, and the economics of that could change. But that's an adaptation. Um, and uh, as, as, a, as opposed on the other side of the balance sheet, uh, destroying people's faith in democracy for a generation. Mm. So is, that, is that worth? Is that worth it for a, for a theoretically half, you know, quarter percent of GDP for a few years? I don't, I, I don't buy it. And uh, so that's yeah, that's where we are. I think the I think the the case. I mean, it's the point we make in the new deck. The, the case for rejecting the European Union as it's structured on democratic grounds is incredibly strong. I mean, it's really, really strong. Um, if you're a fully integrated Eurozone state, like Portugal or Holland, or um, there are five major important policy areas which your voters can't touch. So, you know, if you say, if I can remember them all, monetary policy, fiscal policy, trade policy, immigration, and industrial policy, that's pretty major areas those, right those, there. No, no, that's not little. That, <laughs> yeah. Those are big things, okay? Yeah. You're a normal Portuguese. You can't elect a politician that can touch that. You can't. And that's a desperate situation. Now, the usual trade-off is that 
if things are going so well economically and we're, you know, uh, bellies are so full that we'll, we'll put up with that. It's a bit like in China, people talk about, you know, why isn't there more uh, pressure for democracy in China? Well, the, the theory is that if China grows at 8%, people don't mind, you know, and that's the sort of deal. Trouble with the Eurozone, it, it doesn't. I mean, you've got mass unemployment. You've got mass unemployment in the South. Uh, the Eurozone isn't growing. A lot of large economies like Italy have, have gone into decline. Um, so it isn't working economically. And yet voters don't have a purchase, can't get a handle on any of these things. And in pub discussions, I'll try and, because I drink with a couple of Remainers every Friday. They're nice Remainers. They're Democrats, like you, Democratic mm -hmm. Remainers, who, who I think if they were pushed come to shove would probably honor a future referendum. But a point, the best point I could ever make to them is, is just line up beer glasses or cups and call them monetary policy and just try and touch them, try and get them. If you're a normal voter in the year, you can't touch it. And what that means is, it means that those really, really massive things have been decided pre-politically. That's devastating. That's, that means that it's all been wrapped up. So, you know, it's all been wrapped up before you even get anywhere near it. And that can't happen by accident. It's, it's a deliberate thing. I mean, it's structured like that. And it's very sad that it's like that, but it is like that. And um, I don't, you know, I don't want the Eurozone to, 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 to crash in flames and things, but it won't last forever because it can't. It's not a good system. Mm. So I think it's a bit like your railways. You know, when, when the, the people with the little trains, you know, running up and down getting in trouble, the state has to pick up the pieces. And actually in Europe, when uh, the Euro project, which is a utopian 1950s project, when it falls down, the nation states will be there to, as the only entities that can pick up and reconvene stuff and do stuff. That will happen. All right. Well, we've got time for one last question. And the question that we always ask is, what is the one thing that we're not talking about as a society that we really should be? Um, I'm going to say civilized tolerance or civilized toleration of differences. I refuse to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we go. So we well, hear it first. Uh, so there's a sort of, I, I talked about the sort of social justice mania that we're going through. And, and part of that, you have, you have sort of parity ma maniacs. Well, look at any domain, whether it's sandwich shops in Soho, or I'm joking, but, you know, uh, FTSE boards, uh, any category, they go crazy if, if there's not equal absolute proportionality between every group you can think of, you know, men, women, or different uh, ethnic minorities, or whatever, or different classes, and they just go crazy, you know. And it's so as if as if the end game of the of the project they're they're doing will be that we will get absolute fifty fifty parity across all uh, domains. And I would say <clears throat> a social democratic um, ethic would be. Uh, in an open and tolerant society, there will be some differences, you know, there will be. And we're going to have to live with them. And we're going to have to be live with them in sort of civilized toleration. You won't get total, you want equality. And some of the, you know, social justice is an important value. But the idea that you're going to get total parity is, is juvenile. And I, I don't think it's actually even um, desirable in that people make different choices in life. And that's fine. And I think if we... If we have this civilized toleration, we will be better, better off for it. Fantastic. Well, uh, if anyone wants to follow you on Twitter, you're at? Uh, 
Oh, I, you William don't Clouston. remember? No, I'm so, I'm so bad. Uh, William Cluson. You'll find me William Cluson SDP. And uh, how can, if people really enjoyed this conversation and thought this is the party for me, how can they get involved? Uh, SDP.org. Uh, have a look. And, and I, I think the biggest thing I would, I would urge people to do is to read the new declaration because that's the, the philosophical side. And if you like it, think about joining and, and, and get part of it. And if you don't, down. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. As always, follow us at TriggerPod on all the social media. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, you can listen to this as a podcast, as many of you will know. And the thing that Francis has been pointing out and we've been hearing a lot of is on YouTube, we've had people being unsubscribed, including repeatedly from our channel. We don't know why. Could it be that we have honest conversations with interesting people? I don't know. Anyway, if that's you, if you've been unsubscribed, let us know and we'll keep hammering YouTube and they will do nothing about it yet again. <laughs> and it's also, if you like it, but uh, you uh, don't feel comfortable tweeting about it or retweeting, just tell a friend, spread the word, spread the hate, guys. <laughs> and uh, we will see you next week. See you in a week. Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.